to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. If you remember back when we started in the letter of 2 Corinthians, the one thing that I, the, the two questions that I kind of held out um, every week for everyone was, um, how can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking and comfort? So thinking through that, how can I be captivated truly by Christ, what, what Paul is trying to bring to them when, when they were, this Corinthians church, as well as us, um, were obsessed with pride and self-seeking and comfort. So what, and then secondly, what implications does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? If I am kind of secretly, blindly obsessed with um, my own comforts, my own self-seeking, my own desires, um, and just kind of trying to live the Christian life, then, then how am I loving Christ truly, and how, how am I making him known to others um, if that's what's going on? Uh, two of the moti- motifs, kind of the themes that run through this book is, the first one is God's paradigm is not our own. God uses weakness in us to show forth his own glory and power. That is not one that we would choose, right? Like there's a reason that all of us don't sign up for the Navy SEALs, right? Um, and so th- that is not something that, that we really just run towards, weakness. And the second one is identification with Christ has produced suffering and weakness, which in turn leads to life and salvation for others. And so that was part of God's theme. L- look at the, the glorious, perfect, um, unmarred Jesus Christ who took human form, lowered himself, and things only got worse, right? Like it's not a picture of him being um, low in a bad state and things only got better. It's, it's just the opposite. And so that, that's a pattern of the gospel. That's a pattern of following Christ. And so um, that's something that's through the book. This church in Corinth um, was filled with problems. We, we, we talked about that. Many of us would have probably got into that church and found out all the things that were going on and said, no, we're not coming back at all. I mean, there is adulteries going on that were like just, just allowed to go on and like talked about, and, and everyone knew it. And there was all kinds of um, people were elevating uh, the rich. They were elevating people of status. They, were, they also had all these practices that some people in the church would do and they elevated those people. Um, the spiritual gifts, we know in the letter of 1 Corinthians, these things are brought out where they were elevating people by their spiritual gifts. If you had these gifts, then you were really exalted in the church. But the, these other people, they even probably, as scholars believe, they probably had seating sections. Like if, if you don't have these gifts, you, you sit towards the back over there. So that's what's going on, that kind of pride and spiritual pride. And so, um, But in this broken church, this sin-saturated, selfish, idolatrous community, God sends the gospel of Christ and expects the church not only to survive, but to flourish. And so as we look back at 2 Corinthians, I I want us to do just a little bit of a recap to show you where chapter 6 fits in, because it's been all of January we looked at kind of the idea of faithful, what matters most. December, we kind of camped out and looked at Advent, right? And so now getting back to this, um, just chapters 1 through 7, all those chapters, it's Paul kind of defending his ministry. 
Um, and he's defending it through the ministry of the new covenant. So if you remember those super apostles, we'll find that more out about them in chapter 11. And so the super apostles had come in, and he's mentioned them before, um, but they had come in, and as Paul was gone, the, these guys that had come in, and they, they kind of elevated eloquence. They elevated man's wisdom, the philosophies of the day. And Paul had been looked at as, this guy, you're, you're, you're trusting this guy? Look at him, he's weak and broken down. All these calamities hit his life. He can't be in the will of God, right? And so Paul has been defending um, his life and showing that actually that, that those weaknesses are an identification with Christ. The sufferings I'm going through, those are identification with Christ. I mean, do you see Jesus? I mean, have you understood Jesus' life? Like, mine looks more like that than, than the worldly success of these guys over here. And so he's having to defend that, but he's doing it through the ministry of the new covenant. We saw that in those chapters. Um, so Paul's identifying his weaknesses as, as not something that takes away from his legitimacy, but actually something that confirms it as an apostle. And, and Paul understands that if they're not going to, if they can't trust me, how are they going to hear God's word? And guess what? God in, in the Trinity doesn't have a new letter for Sojourn Church, right? Or Life Church, or Transformation Church, or First Baptist Downtown, or First Baptist BA. But he did have one to the Corinthians. Like, can you imagine? Like, at the time, they're not realizing I have a specific letter addressing you folks right here. Like, that's weighty, right? And Paul understands that if they're not going to hear God's word to them, then how are they ever going to grow in their faith? How are they going to become what God has want them, wanted them to become? So that's chapters 1 through 7. In chapters 8 and 9, he's going to be challenging them. So built off of that, now I want to challenge you, if your heart has been changed, sacrificial giving and sacrificial living. He's actually going to be taking up an offering from them to give to some other churches. And so he's going, they're never going to live this out. And, but some of the fruit of being changed and understanding the gospel would be just sacrificial living and sacrificial giving. That's what he's getting to in those next couple of chapters. And then in chapters 10 through 12, he's going to remind them again of his identification in Christ. Chapter 11, he's going to speak to the nature of those false teachers. And then chapter 12, he's going to talk more about this counterintuitive nature of God using weakness, which just doesn't seem to fit. And in a booming, thriving culture. If you remember how we studied out what the, the city was like there in Corinth. And then in chapters 12 and 13, he's going to inform them of, of this future visit, and then he just says goodbye at the end. So let's start with this, this question. Let's start with this. Let's kind of have a little uh, corporate group quiet time. So, um, God, if you love me today, would you allow me to... What would you fill in the blank with? God, if you love me today, so we're, we're all sitting down, bowing our heads, we're going to have this quiet time. God, if you love me today, would you allow me to, what would you fill in the blank with? What would most of mainstream Christianity fill in the blank with? God, if you love me today, would you allow me to go through immense, painful trials today? Does anyone, anyone do that? Would you fill my cup this week with more torturous grief and pain and suffering than I can even imagine, God? Does anyone ever do that? We, we just don't think that way, do we? Would you lead me into unbelievable trials and suffering so that I will 
know you more. That's, that's not it, is it? Like, we, we know what sells books, like millions of books, right? We, we know what grows churches, the message of, you know, God is going to prosper you, all those things. Like, God wants you to be rich. God wants you immediately to be healthy. Um, you guys know, so this is the second week in a row I'm wearing uh, tennis shoes, so I apologize for that. Some of you probably um, think that that's heretical, just the fact I'm wearing tennis shoes, but my back has been jacked up for eight weeks. How many times a day do you think that I pray? Just God, I just don't understand. And I don't even like Paul's like three times I prayed to the Lord. He said my great, like, I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm doing 12 to 15 times a day. Sometimes if it's really bad, like four times an hour. And then I'm just like wrenching out at God, like, why, why? And then I think of people who are really suffering in other places and mine's like a two on a scale of 10. And so, but all those things we go through and we want health, immediate health, immediate healing. We want wealth. We want all those things. We want success. We want safety, security. And in fact, I'd love to speak more on this. We, in particular, are a people who love control. And that's a whole nother subject. But we try to control the variables to keep away pain, to keep away bad situations in life, to keep away any chance that something would go wrong. That's our thinking. It's a huge theme of our life. So you control the variables is what we try to do. It's theology of suffering. God, would you allow me to fill in the blank? And interestingly, um, we see that that's what Paul is going uh, to, to God. God's going, hey, I, I'm going to fill in the blank for you. I'm going to fill that in for you, and you're going to see some of that in this letter. Here's the main points for today. Um, these are the, the, the main four points looking at the scriptures today. This is going to be um, chapter, two, uh, or chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. And so the first one is just ob- obstacles to avoid. In verse 3, some obstacles to be avoided. And then secondly, um, great endurance for great sufferings. And we're going to see that in verses 4 through 5. And Paul goes into three different types of sufferings. Um, And then the third thing we're going to see is spirit-empowered grace in in verses 6 through 8. And then paradoxical, paradoxical pairs, but they're actually paradoxical painful pairs. Uh, we want paradoxical pairs, but uh, it, only if, they're, if, if there's something that really doesn't have anything to do, to do with weakness or pain. So um, in this theology, theology of suffering, um, notice how God called Saul. Remember when Saul was going to Damascus, he had been going at destroying the church and imprisoning people and killing people and all those situations happening? Notice his call to Saul originally um, in, in Acts chapter 9. says, uh, but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will prosper. I will show him how much he'll be successful. He doesn't say that, does he? Because I've shown him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Introduction to Jesus for Paul was, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, are you pers- why are you persecuting those people, the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? That, I'm the head. That is my body. Why are you hurting and injuring my body? I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for the sake of my name. Not, I'm going to show you how much you suffer because you've been hurting me, but because in my grace, I'm going to show you how much I'm worth in your core heart. And that's what suffering gets us to. How much is Jesus worth? Later on in Acts 14, same type mentality. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, so it's a good ministry going forward, making many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Man, you can write a book about what we've been doing. 
encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't, don't want that part, right? Let's make disciples because it's going to be suffering and pain and costly for you. That doesn't grow churches. That doesn't sell books, does it? And yet that is clearly the word of God. Um, Acts 20, Paul's just kind of letting people know, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So all of us, you know, having a little quiet time in the morning, all of us, we'd love to hear the audible voice of the Spirit. Paul's probably like, no, 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 blah, 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 like, not again, I don't want to hear it. Like, afflictions and imprisonment are awaiting me. Um, how can all this be true, those verses, and in many, many more, and in the sections we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians, how can all that be true? And at the same time, uh, the verses in the Bible, like number 6. So at number 6, 24, may the Lord bless you and keep you, Right? Yes, yes. May the Lord um, cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you. Yes, yes, yes. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you, in the word, the picture there is this, this, this almost pushing peace, shalom upon you. So how is that true? And what Paul's saying here, like imprisonments, afflictions are awaiting me. How much you must suffer for the sake of my name. If you had your choice, which, which one would it be? We want, we like, uh, do we want number six or do we want um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6? We want those verses and acts that Paul just laid out for us. And, and the reality is what we don't like to look at. What if God brings about number six through sufferings and through hardships and through affliction? What if it's in our weakness that we see a huge, beautiful God instead of in our own self-strength, in our own power, in our own success steps? And so I know that's what's American. I know that's what's expected, but sometimes it's just not biblical. And, and that doesn't mean, what, what I'm not saying is that um, if you're having success in your business, if your job's prospering and you're doing well, man, we, we want that. We, we pray that. That's what we want. In the same way, right now in dark areas in the Middle East, in North Africa, we're praying that Jesus would come, that light would come to darkness, that, that governments would be changed, that people would be changed, hospitals and health and all the blessings of Christ. And when Christ, if you look at history, when Christ comes in and, and churches are planted, it changes that, that place. Now, some places, it's powerful strongholds so it's like you know small little pockets of missionaries and tiny little house churches it takes a while but when christ enters into an area where there's freedom religion everything gets better the economy gets better um, people's health gets better because it's usually medical help that's coming in the form of missionaries all kinds of things happen so we, we don't say you're closer to God and you're more godly if you suffer. So I've had some friends that say like, yeah, I'm one to go. I literally had a guy years ago, 20 years ago said, yeah, you know, in Revelations it talks about the ones, the white robes given to the martyrs. It's like, man, I'm going to North Africa and I'm praying that I'll be a martyr. And I was just like, what? Like, why would you do that? Like, that's just idiotic. He lives in a really nice house in Florida now. And so, but I mean, at the time, you know, he was like 20 something. So he thought that would be going to be a martyr. I would be the first, like, no, I'd be running, screaming, like throwing kids back down behind you. That's what most of us would do that. You know, like this is like, <laughs> as long as I outrun that other person, I think I'll make it. And so um, that, that we have this mentality sometimes that it's only either success 
Or then other people have this mentality, well, if, if you are suffering, um, then, then you're closer to God. Not necessarily. So I'm not trying to make that argument. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 there, um, 3 through 10. Um, verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, in beatings, imprisonments, riots, in labors, sleepless nights, and hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, and as having nothing yet possessing everything." So, Father, we, we come, just like as we sang those songs earlier, that um, you are the God that, that makes everything possible. You're the God that is worthy of all praise. You're the God that um, truly does take us in the middle of suffering and, and shows us who you are and how powerful you are. Uh, Father, we usually try to do everything we can to control life's variables to stay away from any sort of of weakness or suffering or pain or hurt. And so you have not designed it that way, but you have designed it to where you are with us in that and you show us our weakness and you show us your glory in that. So help us to see that through this passage today. In your name we pray, amen. So the first thing that um, we see here um, is Paul is going to go to this idea of these obstacles to be avoided. I mentioned earlier that in Corinth that they had elevated certain people in, in, in their riches, certain people in their positions in the city, um, business owners that, had, uh, that were blossoming and, and flourishing, um, also people with certain spiritual gifts. So there's this elevating going on. And so Paul sees this about the church, and he's going, hey, these are some obstacles that, that we want to avoid so that our ministry will be truthful and, and will be um, authentic. And so, um, and he's trying to give them um, God's word. So when he's saying this, we put no stumbling block in anyone's way. We put no obstacle in anyone's way. The reason for that is so that their ministry would not be discredited. And so he knows that if, if, if they can't see this as what it is, that they'll never receive God's word. And so um, this, is, um, this is where in our day, what we would say, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. And you've got to protect the main thing, being the gospel proclamation. And so in that, um, it, it goes down to the very core of salvation by faith alone. And so I'll show you a little bit. Like I could spend, I could, should have camped out on here and just went deep into this to show you, especially when you look at not only what Paul was dealing with the Corinthians, but in our own culture, how that's kind of cascaded and there's all kinds of things. So sometimes we're putting our faith and our trust, we're resting in lots of good things. Sometimes we're resting in stuff. Sometimes we're resting in self. Sometimes we're resting even in religious stuff. Yet what we need to ask is, what is it that we need most? Okay, what is it that we need most? Thinking through salvation by faith alone. Um, what is it that transforms you? And it's got to be the gospel. It can't be your own strength. 
It can't even be how good you're doing your Christian life, how good you're getting at Christianity. That, that's not what it is. And, and we want to think that way in our culture. Other cultures don't even think that way, but, but we do. And so it's kind of part of our DNA. Um, so think through, what do you need most? Is, is it that promotion? Because sometimes we're, we're working really hard and we're thinking hard about that next life step, that next decision. Uh, if we could just get to the, and if we're not careful, that becomes a goal. And now our theology shifts and, and that becomes what's supporting what I'm trying to pursue. And we don't notice we're doing that. Sometimes it's uh, the, the next promising opportunity, a new group of friends. Maybe it's like, if we could get in, I met these people at work, and there's these people that I really want to be a part of. New year, new body, new budget, new plans, new life. This time of year, people are looking at that. If our hearts are seeking those things, there can be a very subtle shift because some of these things, these, these things that, that can become obstacles in our Christian life, they can feel very good, and they can look very godly. So as I show you these, uh, I think there's a slide up there just showing. First of all, just um, the the two big ways, two big obstacles we want to be careful of is anytime that we're subtracting from the gospel or we're adding to the gospel. Okay, So Paul's day, I told you about the Corinthians. They're elevating certain practices. These people do these things. Look at them, how godly they are. These people have these spiritual gifts. Look how godly they are. These people are so successful. Look at their positions out in the world. God has really blessed them. And sometimes they weren't spiritual at all. In fact, they were probably just completely lost people. But they were were coming into the church because they they could see ways of taking advantage. So in that, um, when you think through things in our day, um, taking away from the gospel, um, the prosperity gospel, right? That's one, that's one gospel that, that's just wrong. Um, the therapeutic gospel. Also, the social gospel. So and some of you may go, I, mean, I haven't heard of those other things. Is there some books about that? There's tons of stuff. So, so first of all, just the prosperity gospel, the idea, the idea that you know, just God's only, only desire for you is to be healthy, wealthy, um, rich, and all in Jesus' name, right? That, that's only for Christians. Um, and we sit there and we go, how do people fall for that? How do people not see through the prosperity gospel and the different versions of it? I mean, there's some newer, nuanced 2.0 versions of the prosperity gospel um, in, 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 around. And so the therapeutic gospel, how do people not see through that, that it's not the true gospel? The social gospel, how do people not see through that? Why? Because it feels really, really good. And it looks really, really godly. And now if we flip over, those are things that are taking away from the gospel. Um, what about things that we're, we're, we're adding to the gospel? So, um, again, prosperity gospel, again, fits that one. So it's a winner. Um, but also the try-harder gospel. Moral quality gospel. So if you've grown up in a church, um, so when I was growing up in church, the pastors um, were not spending as much time as trying to go into the intent of the scriptures. Instead, it was the Bible seen as, as a list of rules. So every week it was, here's what this says, you need to go do this. In the story, you're David, do you have faith? Christian, you need to have faith. Hey, you need to go do these things. You need to go do these things. Here's four points that you need to go do. You need to go do. And Christianity was about things that you just go do. Now, we're going to talk about the idea of obedience in a little bit, but in that, how do we get away from that? How do people not see that? How do, not people, how do people not see through that? Because 
It feels really good to be righteous, doesn't it? And it looks really, really godly. And we, we, we don't see that sometimes. So in both ways, adding to the gospel, you're making your list beyond Scripture, or you're taking away from Scripture. And so let's think through these. Taking away from the gospel, the prosperity gospel. Like I said, that, that's what it is. You know, here's this idea that it's all about our lust for comforts, riches, material wealth, physical health, right? And, and it takes away from man's essential need. You don't have to have any of those things. That man's essential need is reconciliation with God. So the true gospel is you need to be reconciled with God. Your sin's forgiven, right? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we just covered there, spent three weeks on, that for our sake, he, the Father, made him to be sin. A whipping boy, his wrath lashed out on him, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. You get imputed righteousness, he takes on your sin. That's the point. So the, the prosperity gospel, that's not what the main message is. The main message is God wants you to be rich and wealthy and immediately healed. Um, the, the therapeutic gospel, it's the, that's the idea that um, it's, it's, it's exchanging man's need for forgiveness of sins as central. So if, if man's need for forgiveness of sins is the central reason Jesus came, it changes and says God's concerned about how you feel. Jesus wants to come into your life and make your life better. Make your life feel so much better. Jesus wants to be a friend. Ever heard that language? Jesus wants to be a friend for the lonely feelings. So it's all hitting those lonely, depressed, sad, abused. So Jesus wants to take those things away. Did you mention to me that I need my sins forgiven? Did you mention to me that that's the main point? Like, Jesus can do all those things for your feet. He can. But the central thing you have to come to him first for is you come and confess, I need forgiveness for my sins. I need to be reconciled to God. The social gospel, same thing. It's powerful. Um, it takes away from the gospel by exchanging man's vertical relationship with God, right? So our vertical issue with God, you're sinful under God's wrath. I need to have that problem solved first, right? And it doesn't mention that. They, they, they forget talking about that. And what they want to focus on is racial reconciliation or just social injustices that are all over the world. And so it becomes all about doing all these deeds out in society and culture and helping the community. And so uh, this colored guy and this colored guy can embrace each other, and, and now we have racial reconciliation. They can still be horrible, horrible um, heathen people that are both headed towards hell. What do they need? They need the vertical restored. So that's the, the, the social gospel. And in those we see that they're taking away from the true gospel that, no, we need Christ we need Christ first. That's what solves it. And then from our loving God, we begin to love others. It's changed me to where now I have a true heartfelt love for this brother, right? And so that, that, that's where they subvert that. Um, so the same thing when you start looking at adding to the gospel. Um, if getting saved is this idea that my, my, my past is forgiven, I got a, a kind of a new start on life, and, and now I simply want to try harder to live better than I did in the past, that's not the gospel, a new start, a blank slate, and now just don't do the things you did. Don't do the things you did. Don't do That's you, 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 you. It's not a matter of us trying harder, having the right rules to apply. It is transferring our trust away from ourselves, 
transferring our trust away from our efforts, understanding the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, in that, uh, many people are looking for the, the right equation. to try. They, they want to try harder at applying the right equation. It will, and if you do that, it leads to blessing and it leads to pleasing God. No, you are pleased. You're, you're in the state of the position of being pleasing to God because of Christ's imputed righteousness, right? So, so we must be aware of those type of, um, those type of obstacles that are there. Sometimes we're setting up obstacles where we're taken away from the gospel ways. We're adding more and more rules to it, and it's not the pure gospel. And so in that, we have to think through. It's not a matter of not obeying. There's always obedience. Paul is, is saying, I, I've remained faithful and remained obedient. So uh, obedience to Christ is the given. It's the understanding. Um, so when you, when you think through, hey, how do I want to raise my kids? Here's some things that we want to have um, applied in our house. Those are great ideas. That's what the Bible encourages us to do with our wisdom, right? So whether it's our family, whether it's our career choices, whether it's our um, the, the way a, a, a person works in his workplace, she works in her workplace, the way that we raise kids, all those things, those are wisdom pieces that, that are expected of us. So, so you don't get to do away with it and say, well, it doesn't matter about my obedience because I don't want to be adding to the gospel. That, that's that always the understanding is there is faithfulness in the middle of this. And so uh, don't, don't, don't walk away. I don't think there's anybody struggle with that, but sometimes in places, uh, some other places, probably bigger places, that it, it's this issue of like people are kind of living how they want to live under this kind of grace banner, and that's, that's never the understanding. Um, so we must be aware of obstacles that, that we can have in our life. And that second thing is a great endurance for great sufferings. And Paul mentions three types of sufferings. Um, first of all, just general sufferings, then sufferings at the hands of others, and then sufferings by way of self-discipline. So um, as followers of Christ, we, like Paul, must be biblically informed uh, that we may go through many trials and sufferings in life, um, and they are tied to our union with Christ. Some of the things that you will have in your life, relational breaks in family, extended family, um, close um, situations, maybe as your kids get older, um, maybe neighbors, maybe at your workplace, there's going to be rifts, there's going to be problems because you are standing in union with Christ, right? We're going to face some of those things. We're in a fallen world where people are not playing by the same rules. Um, Paul Tripp has some great writing on this same idea. Um, Paul's been a, a trusted friend that I've read and learned uh, way before we met them. At They brought uh, Paul and uh, Luella into our uh, Harbor Network pastor and wives retreat. And so way before we got to meet and talk with them and stuff, and spend time with them, um, just his books had been so helpful. And um, we're, um, we're not like super close friends and stuff. Like we don't text all the time. We, we were there and I think they were sitting. I don't ever go after like when there's somebody that's celebrity, I don't like go to them and like, hey, will you sign my belly or something like that. And so um, they, I just kind of like give distances. But they would happen to be just, we were out on the beach. They, they'd spoken a couple times that morning and then they just happened to be like a couple of chairs over. So we started talking to them. And so, you know, one thing led to another. And, you know, I, I like to talk. So, um after a while, you know, I think I was only like up to like the second grade in my story to him. And then he, he's kind of moseying off a little bit. And so next thing I know, he's down towards the water. I'm like, hey, man. Uh, and he's like, no, stop. Don't, don't. Just stay back. I'm, I'm peeing right now. 
So anyway, we're standing there in the water, and uh, then uh, in a little bit, he starts swimming off, and I'm just like, hey, man, it's getting really, really deep. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's saying, I'm going to the other side, but the other side in the Gulf is literally South America, so I knew something was off. Maybe I was, I'm kidding, I didn't, all that, you wouldn't really think that I would do all that, right? You guys know me, I wouldn't really do that. So Paul, uh, Paul has been uh, a very gifted um, writer, and he's brought out some beautiful things. And so if you have his New Morning Mercies um, book, it's just been encouraging to me. And he, he went into this um, in, um, I think it was the, one of the days at the 1st of February, and he, he brings out in First Peter um, what Peter is saying that's ex- exactly the same thing that Paul's bringing out. And in First Peter 6 through 8, he says, uh, 1, 6 through 8, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So think through that. Now for a little while. What's a little while? An hour? A few days? Relational break with family members? Is it months? Is it years? Now for a little while, you're going through extreme bodily pain. You see, if you've seen people that have gone through cancer, just watching my mom slowly go through that thing where your life just goes from a healthy, standing up, you know, can do everything person to completely weakened, can't do anything. You see those things all the time. People's health conditions. For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness, so what's God doing? He's bringing something out. It's not some good that's already in you. He's putting stuff inside you, a genuineness of your faith that comes from him. So it's not your righteousness, it's his righteousness. And he's saying it's more precious than anything on this earth. But that will result in, when you come through the other side, praise and glory and honor back to God. Not you and how you made it through. Not you and how how strong you were. Peter doesn't take these moments or trials and suffering and difficulty as evidences that God is unfaithful. Anyone ever got to that point when you're going through a really, really difficult time and you're truly just going, I just don't understand. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to live my life for you. I try to even share the gospel and try to make disciples. And we try to do all these, and you're letting this hit my life? And what can happen is we can begin to think that God is unfaithful. Do you not see God? Do you not care? Because it sure seems like you don't care. And all around me, people are winning and winning and more and more and better, and yet you have me in this situation? Do you not see? Am I doing something wrong, God? Are you unaware? It tempts us to feel that way. Peter sees these very things, these moments, as some of the most important parts of the path. So when you go through that, he's saying, no, no. You love the success and taking the steps and standing strong and the next thing that you fall backwards into that's successful and it's all and everyone's celebrating you. God doesn't measure the heart of success as, as that, does he? And Peter's going, actually, when you go through those trials and you remain faithful, that's what I'm producing in you. And when is it going to be revealed? When do we get the reward? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that ain't tomorrow unless he just comes back. 
So you may be going through it. It doesn't mean that if you do it correctly, he'll take it away. How many martyrs, that doesn't happen. How many people right now all over the world uh, cannot even come together and worship and stuff? So they have all kinds of suffering and trial. Are they trying to follow the Lord? Yes. Do they have food? No. Do they have warmth? No. Do they have anything? The refugee crisis right now? Just, just look on some pictures. You don't have to re- Just look at pictures of refugees through the world. Biggest displacement in the whole history of the earth right now. And a lot of them are believers. Is God uncaring? Does God not see? Peter says, being grieved, going through trials, being tested is part of God's gracious action toward you to actually show you. Remember our question earlier? Hey, God, if you truly love me, would you allow me to? No one's going to ask that, is it? We don't want to hear this message. We don't want to hear bad news. We don't want to hear that there could be suffering and that God is going to allow you to go through it for a while. So, that's a tough thing. And why? Why would that be granted us? Look in verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. He knows. He's drawing out impurities, just like it said earlier. The gold is being purified in your heart where you go, you are worthy. Though all these things are happening, you're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my worship. All these things. So um, beautiful things there. Paul goes into those three different types uh, by great endurance. And so notice the first three are actually just general sufferings, afflictions and hardships and calamities. Um, That's what we're going to face because of the world we're in. We're in a fallen world. Um, Other places we've been in churches, it could happen here. I actually haven't heard. Thank you for not making this a big deal. Uh, When kids, when they send little kids down to the the nursery area or the the children's area, and like a kid is fine on Saturday and Sunday, and they're just playing, playing, playing. And and if you have old enough kids, you've probably seen this happen. Uh, But then they're playing, they're fine. And then like on Tuesday morning, that kid starts throwing up and then you know the mom kind of gets on Facebook or you know hey guys it looks like little Sally's been sick and thrown up and we would have these like five or six people just get like all these personal messages not to the group message but this personal message like I can't believe she brought little Sally on Sundays like she was fine all Saturday and Sunday and Monday and so why is this going on Tuesday she she, she got sick it, it's a part of the fall Right? We don't have to go and attack this person because they took their kid to the children's area. Um, it, it's a part of the fall. We're going to have afflictions. We're going to have sickness. We're going to have illness. All those things. Um, calamities. Um, those are just natural, general sufferings because we live in a fallen world. And then those second ones, the sufferings brought upon by others. Notice he says um, beatings, plural. Imprisonments, plural. Riots. You may have had people talk bad about you at work. Some people slander you or something. Or you know some people don't like you. Have, have they ever went and gathered people into a mob where, like, you walk by a room and people, like, got sticks and stuff and they're coming after you? Like, that's a bad day, right? That's a bad day at the office when you've been up preaching the gospel like Paul had and now the group has turned on you. Because there was times when people, they went from praises to just like with Jesus, like, let's kill this guy. And so riots, imprisonments. And, you know, his imprisonments that day, it, I think a lot worse without air conditioning and heat in prisons. I don't think they, they thought a lot about the paperwork on, on the rights of individuals who were in prison. I don't think that they had a lot of real clear rules about shanks and stuff in those days. I don't think the guards were really uh, really caring about supervising uh, prison people at that point. So he's going in there with some of the scariest people alive. And Paul's saying every bit of that. God allowed every bit of that. 
um, are suffering by way of self-discipline. He talks about hard labor and sleepless nights and hunger. As they were tent making in some places, they, 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 something would happen and they wouldn't get the, some of the support they're supposed to get. So now we're out of money. We're in this city. We've got to go and work for two or three days. We're going to work during the day. Everyone else's is working in the fields from sun up to sundown. And then now we're ministering in the evenings and, and it's sleepless nights. People are coming to us with all kinds of problems. So they were doing all sort of preaching and, and small groups and, and house uh, by Bible studies and those things, and now people are needing to be prayed for and needing to be counseled and all those things, so sleepless nights due to this ministry. And all these occasions of sufferings, they did not disqualify them, and he's wanting the Corinthians to see that. No, those actually confirm we were walking in the will of God. And in our time, it's just not thought of that way. Um, the third thing is he's also showing us this idea of spirit-empowered grace. Look in verse 6 and 7. By purity, by knowledge, by patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Notice that he throws in the Holy Spirit, and notice two, two times later he throws in the power of God. So he's got this list of things that seem like fruit of the Spirit. He's got these qualities or these characteristics purity, knowledge, patience, all those things. But then he throws in the Holy Spirit. So some people, so in the Greek, um, the, in the Greek, it doesn't help you out. It doesn't give capitalization. So if you're reading the original manuscripts, there's no capitalization, even in ours. Um, so that in pneumatai hagios, in pneumatai hagios, it, no capital. So is that the whole, and so it's actually the spirit holy. And so um, in that, it, it's not capital spirit, Versus small spirit. So when you're reading that, and so some people have thought, well, is it saying along with those things, purity, knowledge, a spirit of holiness, but it fits completely in. So most people disagree, scholars disagree and say, no, he actually is saying these things, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, this is a Holy Spirit that has enabled. This is exactly what this Holy Spirit was promised to do when Christ said, I'm going I'm to leave, and you think that's bad, but it's actually for your good, that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to empower you and enable you. Remember in Ezekiel 36, what we talked about when God talked about the, the new heart that I'm going to give. And he will enable you to walk in obedience. He will enable you to respond when people um, do bad things to you, you respond with kindness. When people hurt you, you respond with love and patience. When, when people do things that you think are horrible, you respond in gentleness and genuine love. The Holy Spirit, it, it's grace-empowered um, Spirit-empowered grace. And so in all of that, just a beautiful picture that's through the Holy Spirit. And in that, it's not your pull-up-your-bootstraps mentality. When you're suffering trials and you're suffering things, we would be bent towards just anger or retaliation, resentment, bitterness, uh, going on the attack, strife. But we have the opportunity to actually respond with these things that he has listed. Purity. I don't feel very pure right now. Jesus has purity for you. I don't feel like um, I understand the whole situation, that knowledge of the, hey, you have knowledge that you're going to go through suffering, and in suffering, you still can love people that are treating you bad. That's knowledge and understanding. Patience. Just, just trust God in this. You don't have to respond. You don't have to do all these things and take all these actions. Patience and trust. Kindness. Um, genuine love. Truthful speech. So, so all of those beautiful, is, is that not beautiful? That God says, you can have all those things even though you're going through horrible situations. You don't have to respond the way the world does. You don't have to respond the way your heart wants you to. I've got resources for you, the imputed righteousness of Christ. It says, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And so uh, that picture there is um, that, that uh, 
the picture there is, uh, you know, with the right hand, usually it was the sword. So we're on, we're on the offensive and, and de- dealing with spiritual battles, but also with the shield, the left hand having the shield. And so righteousness, both of those being active, the righteousness of Christ. Um, and then and he has three times here this, this word uh, with, which is dia. Or I think my ESV switches it to where it says with weapons of righteousness. And it's supposed to say with honor and dishonor, with slander and praise. But I think the ESV changes it to um, through. But same, same word there. And that's how he sets these three together. And this is positional righteousness. Um, but it's also that, that what I talked about earlier, the responsibility of man. So you have positional righteousness. Someone's doing some bad things to you. There is grace to you that you may not tap into. So positional righteousness, righteousness means as a child of God, imputed righteousness available to you. Someone's hurting you, doing something wrong. You may respond with anger, resentment, uh, retaliation. You don't have to. So, so now you've went and sinned, right? And now you need forgiveness again, need grace on that. There's grace beforehand. And this is where I was talking about our responsibility of man. You need to be obedient. Someone's doing some things wrong. Man, patience from the Holy Spirit. Um, kindness, not retaliating, trusting in the Lord. So that's where we have to be obedient. Man's responsibility. The expectation is that you would turn to grace on the front end. Um, so that's uh, positional but also it's the obedient choice. It's the responsibility of man. You have to make the decision not to go gossip and slander them, not to go back and attack them, all those things. And that's available in Christ that you wouldn't be able to do. Isn't that beautiful that he, he gives those things? So all of this was a righteousness from above, um, spirit-empowered grace. And then um, think through this. How do you handle it when all sorts of sufferings hit your life? What, what comes out of the heart in times of suffering and difficulty? Do you see how there's divine power, supernatural help to respond differently? Um, So not only do our sufferings and trials not mean that God is uncaring and not mean that God doesn't see, it doesn't mean that God's mad at you and trying to prove something to you and get back at you. It actually may be that you're right in the center of God's will. And in the middle of that, when you're going through those things, he, he not only is with you, but he also has resources for you. These things that you can turn to him and ask for. I need my heart to see this clearly. I need understanding. I need patience to deal with these people that are hurting us. It could be two days. It could be two weeks. It could be two years. All those things. Resources available through spirit-empowered grace. Um, and again, I would just say a side note. I don't think the church has done a really good job of teaching us, us those things. Again, so instead of me telling you that, what I could have said is, go do this. Go be patient. Go be, you should be this. You should be this. You should be, and you're shooting all over people. And it just all, and that's, that's what preaching had been for three or four uh, decades. Just do this, do this, do that. Instead of, no, 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 you can't. Because some of us have done that, and then you feel like a miserable failure, don't you? When you try, like you're like, oh, I should probably need to be patient, but I can't stand them, and I hate them. I'm going to call some people, tell them. I'm going to text people, tell them all the stuff, and we fail, and now you feel miserable. Like, well, man, that really didn't work out. I'm not a very good Christian. Well, you were going off of flesh, not in the Spirit. We haven't taught people how to turn to the Spirit. So what um, John Owen spent his whole life pursuing, just that one little verse there in Romans 8, that, that through the Spirit, putting to death, mortifying the deeds of the flesh, through the Spirit. We can kill sinful deeds and kill, kill mortify fleshly things through the Spirit. And so the church hasn't talked a lot about that when we're good. Hey, let's go do it. Pull up your bootstraps. Go live this way. 
You can do this. So that needs to be brought back up. The last thing there is those paradoxical, painful pairs. How could a man of God, with all the weaknesses that Paul had, supposedly walking with God, blessed by God, loved by God, how could he be, look at those verses um, 9 and 10, um, or 8, 9, and 10. How could he be an imposter, unknown, dying, punished, sorrowful, poor? Do you see what he's doing? Having nothing. He, he lists out these things, and those were actually, he was going, I get the feeling, that's what you think of me. Because I know some people have been saying that about me. And so that's what he's doing there. He's doing, these are actually things that, that they would say, this is Paul's reputation that probably these super apostles had, had misled these crowd to think, how could this guy, why would you listen to this guy? And if we could just go back to that time, and if you were able to move the curtain, and then you could actually see, this guy is actually hearing from the Holy Spirit and teaching us God's word, what are these guys doing? And so that's what was going on. That's how dangerous this was. Um, Paul doesn't try to hide or distance himself from, from those realities. Instead, he wants to confirm that although it's paradoxical, it actually confirmed his calling as an apostle. So um, how, what a beautiful picture of him in that moment trusting in God. That must have been miserable and just uh, the humility that was brought there. So Paul sees the paradoxical elements in Christ. So think through Christ. Paul is going, where did this come from? Where did I get this idea Jesus and his humility being his glory. You want the greatest NFL coach? Or do you want the guy who, like, eh, had a 2-14 and 14 season? NAI. How does he treat people? What's his character? Think through, like, what, what do we elevate in our world? What do we elevate in our minds? We want the guy who, who looks this way, who leads this way, and it looks like he's just the general going to take things by storm. That's not ex- that is exactly the flipped opposite of what Jesus came. Remember, all the Jews wanted the powerful militaristic leader, the Messiah, after thousands of years to come in his powerful army and take over and knock these Romans out and set up his kingdom, and they were going to be first in line. And he comes and dies. And says stuff to these poor, oppressed people. Hey, you're going to be broken. You're going to be hurt. You're going to go through suffering. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? If you're the king, why poor in spirit? Let's start kicking some tail. If you're powerful, let's go do this. And that's not the way we think. In each of these, Paul wants them to see one is earthly and temporary, and the second is, is lasting in reality. So yes, imposters, despite his critics' dishonor and slander of him, Paul knows he's remained faithful and true. As imposters, yet yet we're true. Hey, Corinthians, you know. Corinthians, you know me. Yeah, yeah, I was shipwrecked three times. Yeah, been beat by several people. Sometimes people in your church. But how did I respond? I remain true to your word, faithful. Yes, unknown and yet well-known. Though considered insignificant and weak, and 1 Corinthians 4, he even says, he says, we're the scum of the world. We're the refuse of all things, yet we're known by God. So whatever people look at you as, man, I, I sometimes here, when I get here, I get in circles and there's these four or five dads standing around and they're just, and this guy like owns, you know, what, the moon and this guy owns this business and this guy has this and this, and, and literally I'm just going like, yeah, I think there's like 16 people that come to our church plant and we meet in the gym there that you guys, you know, pay for a custodial person. And so like, like you just can't compare, right? So you're the refuse and you just have to go, I'm okay being the refuse, but I'm known by God. 
I don't value my own worth off of how, what people think or what these people, are they impressed by it or what these guys are measuring by it. You just go, hey, I'm going to try to remain faithful and trusting God. As dying, yet behold, we live. As punished and yet not killed. Through all the dangers and attacks and shipwrecks and sickness, being beat and stoned, left for dead, yet still alive and living for Christ. And then the kind of this, this one that encapsulates that most of us think through this, this idea that encapsulates all of it. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That, that's the whole mindset of people that understand that we're aliens here. We're sojourners. This is not our home. That the, we're, we're going through. And so at any moment, it could be a car wreck. It could be a stroke. It could be cancer. It could be anything. It could be 85 and dying in your sleep, but this is not our home. So thinking through what that looks like. So then it goes to that next part, connecting that. Even in our sorrow, still being able to lift up our heads to this face-to-face time, so sorrowful yet always rejoicing because why? We're living for something different. And he goes into as poor, making many rich. What do we have that could make many rich? When you don't have anything, what do we have? The gospel. We started talking about the, the main thing. I'll never be reconciled to you if you don't understand this gospel. We'll never love each other the right way if you don't understand this gospel. I don't know if you're going to end up having a great business or your your business is going to continue to fail, but you need to understand this gospel. Making many rich. Having nothing, but making many rich. And having nothing, but yet possessing everything. We may be in the place of giving much away of this earthly stuff, giving our lives, our time, our love, and the gospel. And in that, we truly possess everything. Two seconds into eternity, five seconds into eternity, when that, your eyes open up, what were you living for? What mattered most? And sometimes all of our thinking and planning and strategizing and, and thinking and thinking and thinking is all about just to where we can have that retirement place down in wherever. Or this career where all these guys will finally understand how smart and intelligent and powerful I really am or to be looked at as this kind of mother or this kind of dad. All of those things, you missed it. It's the gospel, possessing everything. So in closing, um, that theology of suffering and following Christ, God's paradigm is not our own, and Paul brings this out clearly here. Like, And this is, again, something like we would want to refuse and not hear. Some churches won't even talk about these type of things. They would skip chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians because they, they, they don't want to even adhere to this. Um, so how does this change your view? So we think through the application. How have you viewed suffering and trials of many kinds in the past? Maybe you're like me, like my mom. She taught me. Someone gives you $10,000, get ready because tomorrow somebody's going to take 10500 So that was just kind of ingrained in us, like just, just, like just get ready. Bad news is kind of coming. And so that guy gets ingrained in you. Jamie loves that about me. It's a great quality to have. I don't know why everyone doesn't. And so in that, like, what, what, how have you viewed suffering and trials of many kinds in the past? God uncaring? Does he never hear you? Distant from you? Why? I, I just, I'm not living good enough Christian life. Just not doing this good enough. I think it's Matt Chandler that always says that, like, God's not in love with a future version of you. Like, if I ever get all this stuff straight down, get all the right lists, then I'll really be approved. You're going, this will be a rough life. You ain't ever land in that plane. How does this change your view of what's going on at work? 
How does God's Word here and the Spirit change what's going on in relationships in your family? How does it change what's going on with what you're living for? That These are realities. Not, not that we're asking for horrible trials and suffering. Again, that doesn't make you more godly. What have you learned today from Paul's um, from, from Paul on God's provision and resources in the middle of times of suffering. That spirit-empowered grace. And if you've often thought that God is uncaring or removed or even cruel in letting things happen, how would you need to respond to him today? So since I'm wired that way, I have to do this a lot. Where Sankey goes accusing God, he's never lost that one yet. And, and so if you're just as smart as me, you know on the first accusation against him, you're not going to win it. So that's kind of that stupidity. Like, continue to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Like, he's not going to come in on Thursday and go, hey, Sankey, you're completely right. I've messed up some things here, made some mistakes. You've laid out a really good and you've been really, really righteous. I'm going to just fix everything. He's not doing that right. So that's stupidity when you start that complaint path. Feel like he's uncaring. Why did you let this happen? How do you need to respond? to look at the things you've been through. And if you're personally going through a time like this, a time of suffering, trials, confusing circumstances, please reach out to me, to someone in your small group. Let, don't, don't, don't try to work this alone. So in the church for the last 40 years, no one would seek counseling. No one would let things be known about themselves. Like authenticity and transparency, that's a weakness. Instead of, no, we need the body of Christ. We need to open up to one another. So um, let me pray as we uh, Josh comes back up. We uh, do a song of response. I want you guys to take just a few minutes. We'll do a time of response before we go into the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, we'll talk about um, those other things. But I want to give you some time just to think through your life of trials and suffering and what God's Word has shown us today, what the Spirit hopefully will teach us. Father, we do come confessing that we're a people that live so self-focused. Immediately, In a small or a large trial, we think of self. Why? How could this happen? Sometimes we even lay our righteousness on the table. God, I'm doing all of these things. I'm trying to live for you. Why, God? And so we see that that doesn't work. We have to confess that to you. We have to have hearts that are softened, that repent. So, Spirit, would you just give us some time to to think through those things? And maybe not just, just this few minutes of this song, but... But this week, maybe for a while, thinking through the, the things that we've gone through, we ask for you to guide us in that. Would you, would you come as a comforter like you said that you are? Would you come as an encourager for the week? Would you bring the, the, the things that we often push away like repentance and confession? Would you soften hearts, God? We thank you that you love us enough to do this. Amen.